Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Hey, Northeast, my name is Mark. If we've not met, uh, I love when I get the opportunity to speak here for Tyler. It's a, it's a real honor, although I have to say, I don't know that I've ever spoken anywhere on a weirder topic than this. You know what it is? Mortification. Like, who even talks like that? Well, Tyler talks like that. This, this whole series, I think, and I, I didn't realize this until I saw the, the outline. Tyler taught me something that... The progress of your faith is through the whole book, from conversion and how we hear the gospel and respond to the gospel to uh, after we're converted, sanctification, justification, and, and now on to growth, a sanctification in our faith. It's actually just been a, a wonderful series to go through, but mortification, seriously? What in the world is that anyway? And do you remember the movie, The Da Vinci Code? It's almost 20 years old now, believe it or not, 2006. There was a villain in the Da Vinci Code that was creepy. He was an albino assassin priest. Silas. Weird, right? It gets even weirder when the albino assassin killed people for God's glory. He, in one scene, takes his robe off and he's got a metal belt around his thigh. The technical term is a salice. And you tighten that onto your thigh to draw blood. That is one form of mortification. I was mortified when I realized that the salice that you just saw is for sale for $135 on Pinterest. I didn't tell the previous service that. I didn't think they could take it. I'm telling you. What in the world's going on? Well, this idea of mortification is simply telling your body who's boss, putting your body down, in this case, I think inappropriately, in Silas's case, of self-harm to make your body submit to you. Why would you do that? We all know why. I was baptized when I was nine years old, just a little over 14 years ago. And I don't know how many thousands of times I've looked in the mirror and said, God, I apologize again for the same thing. Anyone relate? If you've been a Christian more than, I don't know, 10 minutes, you realize sometimes the sanctification that was proclaimed in an instant is a long time for you to actually grow into. And that's what we're talking about. How can you overcome the desires of the flesh so that you can live the life that God wants you to? Now, if you're a, a, a pre-believer, maybe a friend brought you here and you thought, I always knew Christians were weird. Here, like, rest my case. Or maybe you're watching online because you don't want to commit to coming to church because you don't know if the people are weird. You want to look in the window first. Uh, I promise you we are and you belong, so come on in. But it is... It, 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 doesn't make sense to you why you would mortify your body 
so that you would sin less. You actually do believe that. Even if you're not a follower of Christ, you do believe that, and I can prove it. If you look at literature in general, take movies, for example, this sense of mortification is a pretty common theme. And I wanna, I'm gonna read the verse to you where mortification comes from, and then we'll unpack the movies that we've seen it in. In the Bible, Galatians chapter five, verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh, that's the statement. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. But let me just summarize the whole message in a single sentence in case you need a nap. We are most free when we are most dead. And you actually believe that. Brave heart. You remember the scene? Blue face, on the horse, troops in front of him. And someone shouts out, we're going to die. And he says, I, you might die. Run and you will live for a while. And many years from now, laying in your bed, you would give everything to come back to this space and time for one moment to say to our enemies, you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom! <laughs> so now that we've raised the testosterone in the room, <laughs> you know it's true. You are most alive when you're most dead. Hacksaw Ridge. You're most alive when you're most dead. You think of Schindler's List. Lord of the Rings. A Tale of Two Cities. Les Mis. This is a common theme in literature because we all know it. When you have something greater than yourself to sacrifice for, that's when you really live. And I think that's what we really all want. And it's true, not just in the movies or in books, this is true in your life and mine. In every area, finances. Any Dave Ramsey fans in the house? What's Dave Ramsey say? Say it out loud if you know, live like no one else, so you can live like no one else. Don't judge me for this. I drive a Tesla. I love it. <laughs> I was at a car wash washing my Tesla and it, some kid came up drooling over my Tesla. And he asked me this, he's about 23 years old. He, he said, what do you do for a living that you can afford a car like this? I didn't tell him. <laughs> I did tell him how I afforded a car like this. The last six cars I owned, I told him, the last six cars I've owned have been rebuilds. Like they were, they were totaled, some dude rebuilt them, I bought them a dime on a dollar, I paid cash for all of them and I've saved up for this. You should have been there. The kid, after I told him that, he just, he just walked away going, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you are most alive when you're most dead. Now, any of you dieting? New Year's Eve resolutions already worn off? Okay, I get it. Uh, Oprah says, I agree, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. You have to act like you're dead if you're really going to diet. You have to mortify the flesh. It's actually true with your sexual lives as well. In every survey, Christian or not, the most satisfied couples are those who are married and exclusive in their marriage. 
We, just, we know it's true. You are most alive when you are most dead. In virtually every area, whether you're a pre-Christian, a Christian, a post-Christian, you realize this truth that you are most alive when there's something worth dying for. So let's read the passage again. With that in mind, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want to point out two words, belong and crucified. You, you are owned, you understand this, right? You are owned by Christ. One of the fancy theological words that Tyler didn't use in this series is redemption. It's part of justification, obviously, but redemption was a word in the original language that meant the purchase price for a slave. So when it says in chapter 5, verse 1, I love this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Oh, he paid for you. You are free from your sin, but you are not a free man or a free woman. You are a servant of Christ, purchased and owned by him. Am I right? This is what being a Christian is all about. We don't like to think about that because we, in, like Tyler said a couple weeks ago, we have swung the pendulum clear over into hedonistic liberty, not devoted solidarity because he owns us. And part of the struggle for me is I, I do want to be owned by Christ. I, I do want to be his servant, his, I'll say it, his slave. But I don't act like it. It's deeply troubling for me. Why is it that I love Jesus so much, but I can't overcome my own flesh? It's because I've not fully been crucified. I mean, it says that Jesus was crucified for us. And Paul earlier, this is a pivot verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what I aspire to. That's not how I'm living right now. So how is it that we can be sanctified in an instant but it takes so long for us to live a sanctified life. What would you do if I told you, what would you be willing to do if I gave you a way for you to expedite your sanctification? There is a way, and the church fathers called it mortification. This goes back to the second century with the desert fathers, some of whom would sit on top of pillars for years. They would eat bread and water only. They didn't start beating themselves inappropriately until late in the Middle Ages. It was a pretty cruel time in history. But even Aquinas, that great scholar of the 14th century, talked about the mortification of the body, and that's what Jesus is challenging us to do. And this isn't the only place where Paul writes about it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This idea of mortification is deeply embedded in the New Testament. It's not deeply embedded in our culture. So we're clear. This is not an issue of your salvation. You're still saved. But if you want to live your sanctification, it is when you mortify your body. 
So how in the world can we do that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 26. Verse, sorry, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Tyler walked you through what it means to live by the Spirit. So I don't want to cover that ground, but I want to introduce you to a theologian that has deeply impacted my life. His name is Watchman Nee, and he explained something to me that was super helpful, that all of you are basically three parts of one person. Like you are Trinity in and of yourself. You have body, soul, spirit, Right? Now, the body is most obvious because you can, you can touch it, you can see it, you can smell it. <laughs> Pray for my wife. That, that's obvious. Now, on the other side, you've got your spiritual life. That's the deepest part of you. Your spirit, as near as I can tell, there's some mystery involved. Your spirit is the, is, is the controller of your will and your imagination where you feel most eternal, eternally young or eternally connected to God, where you feel most eternal is in your spirit, where you connect with God. And the Bible teaches that because of our sin, our spirits were dead. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we get baptized, the Holy Spirit enlivens that spirit in us and we live again. And some of you know exactly how that feels because just recently you gave your life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the things you used to brag about, you're ashamed to talk about. Our, our, our spirit. Now, the soul is different than the spirit. There's some overlap, I'll grant you that. But it's, my best understanding is the spirit controls your emotions and your intellect. So thoughts and feelings, that's not your spirit, that's your soul. And when you have a spirit that is instantly 100% redeemed by faith in Jesus, by his blood, your spirit is renewed, it's new, you don't imagine the same way, you don't dream the same way, you don't want the same things, your will is changed, am I right? Your body, no change. I mean, you're still aging and dying, right? Just look at the person next to you. It, it's proof positive. They're dying. I apologize. I'm kind. Still true. Uh, ladies, do you remember the curse that God put on you in the garden? What was it? You'll give birth in pain. Still, ha still true? Oh, yeah. Men, do you remember your curse? You make a living by spreading your brow. Still true? Yeah, work is still work. So you have a body that's completely unchanged. Now, it will be changed, but not yet. You have a spirit that's completely changed. You don't think there's going to be a civil war inside you? And that civil war between an unredeemed body and a fully redeemed spirit takes place in your soul, in your mind. That, that's why we struggle with mental health so much. It's a battleground between our spirit and our body. It's why we struggle so much with anger management, with gossip, with, with slander, with envy, because that's the battleground for our soul. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to give you three very practical exercises all of you can do this week. Now, don't try to do all three. Some of you are overachievers. You know, I, I see you there. You try to do all, well, how many do you do all three? No, no, one. You get one. I'm going to give you three 
practical that you have to choose one to mortify your body this week. But before we get to that, I just want to show you the most important asset you have for mortifying your physical body. It's right here in the text where he says to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Turn, turn with me over to the Romans chapter 8. It's a powerful passage where Paul tells you what this Spirit does for you. I'll begin reading in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Fantastic, right? How does it work? Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I've been a pastor for a hot minute now. And one of the things that I've noticed is the biggest struggle when people have the civil war of their mind and their emotions, it is always because of identity. We don't know who we are. I see it in, in teens, both male and female, who, man, they're acting out sexually, mostly because of a father wound that they don't know who they are. And they're trying to find love, and so they use the embrace of a boy and they find themselves broken because of it. I see it with, honestly, stay-at-home moms. Mom is a little helper. The chemical addiction to prescription drugs is out of control. Why? Because we don't know who we are. We're trying to find significance in a bottle or in a pill. I, I, I went to some movie this last week. Maybe some of you heard of it. It was about your town. Yeah, the, the, Angels, the Angels movie, it's, it was unbelievable. My wife cried through the whole thing. I don't know why we paid that much money for her to get a good cry. I mean, but it was, it was a fantastic movie. I was so proud of Louisville uh, because of that movie. But the main character, she was an alcoholic. Why? Daddy issues. It was her brokenness. Some of you know that story all too well. You're in the middle of it. And I just want to say to you, the mortification of the flesh is hard enough without knowing whose child you really are. And if you could just let God speak to you about his love for you and his care for you. And I'll admit, as a, as a preacher, some of it is our fault that we have preached hell, fire, and damnation, trying to scare people out of hell. And I'm reminded of my friend Rob he, he had a problem overeating. He wasn't obese. He was overweight, but he had a problem. And it really bothered him because he, he was a Christ follower. And I remember what he shared with me. At one point, he went to a buffet. And he did what we all do at a buffet. We get our money's worth. And he walked out miserable. And it was one of those in-the-mirror moments where he said to God, I apologize again. And he heard the Holy Spirit, this is so helpful, he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, not I condemn you, but I'm sorry. I had something better in mind for you. 
Can you, can you receive that? Your sin does not off-put God as if he's, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. You're never going to break God's back, not by your sin. But he has something better for you. And if you can just know that you're a child of God and the draw of the flesh, it, it makes false promises to you. You know that, right? It disappoints. It condemns. It brings shame. God has something better for you in store. And if you could just receive that, then you could mortify your flesh much more easily because you know that you're a child of God. So, so let's just get this straight right now. I'm a child of God. You got it? Can you say it with me? I'm a child of God. Again, I'm a child of God. One more time. I'm a child of God. So let's mortify the body. I'm going to read a verse that will explain every temptation you've ever had. One verse. First John chapter 3, verse 16. For everything in the world, this is all there is in the world. Ready? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's all that's in the world. And every sin you've ever committed is under one of those banners, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. When Eve was in the garden, Satan tempted her with a forbidden fruit. How? He said it was a delight to the eyes. He said that it's good for food, lust of the flesh. He said it's desirable to make one wise, boastful pride of life. See, every sin. When Jesus was in the wilderness, how does Satan tempt him? Turn stone into bread, lust of the flesh. Look at all the kings of the world, lust of the eyes. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, both for pride of life. If you are struggling with a sin, it's in one of those areas. So pick an area. You can't do all three, overachievers. Do one, but do it this week. You ready? If lust of the flesh is a struggle for you, a chemical addiction, uh, overeating, uh, laziness, a sexual immorality, if lust of the flesh is your chosen area, here is a biblical suggestion. And this really goes back to St. Benedict of the 6th century. It was one of his rules for mortification. It is fasting. Fasting from food. If this is new to you, I would suggest you start with a 36-hour fast. And I'll tell you how I do it. Uh, by the way, if you're under 110 pounds, you probably need to consult with a physician to make sure it's safe. Okay, not a problem? Well, good, we'll go on. I will eat dinner, and then I won't eat again until breakfast two days later. That gives a full 36 hours for me. I'll drink water. I may chew gum if I'm going to be in a meeting, because when you don't eat, your breath gets nasty, and that's just unkind. But if you don't eat, spend the time in prayer that you would have in food preparation and in eating. That is, it's really that simple. But a strange thing happens to me. It may be different for you, but at the 24-hour mark, my vision begins to blur. I mean, literally blur. I'm lethargic. I'm also not a nice person when I don't eat. I appreciated Terrence's message last week on uh, Lent in, in the season that we're in right now. 
most Protestant churches are still protesting the Catholic Reformation, even when we don't need to. So I was proud of you for bringing up Lent. My wife and I always do something for Lent. This year, uh, she put us on a clean food diet. It is awful. <laughs> like, I, I, I could probably shiv one of you right now for a Snickers. Is that, is that bad? <laughs> I, I don't do well with not eating. I, I hate fasts, but I know God always speaks to me in the fast. Isn't that the point? You do what you hate so that you can do what you love. You are never more free than when you are dead. At 24 hours, my vision begins to blur and everything physical around me is like in a fog. But the fog that is on my body after 24 hours is the fog that was on my spirit. It's almost like the fog in my spiritual life descends to my physical life and I can see right into the throne room of God. I can discern God's will. I can sense his love. I can pray with more clarity. And because of that discipline, it rolls over into other physical aspects of my life. And I tell my body, I'm gonna crucify you right now to your desires so that you understand it is the spirit that wins this battle. Now, for some of you, physical is not the issue. It is, it is the lust of the eyes. You love stuff. I mean, who doesn't? Any, any Amazon queens? <laughs> any kings of Home Depot? I mean, stuff, we, we, we love it and we crave it and we overindulge in it. I realized it was really uncomfortable, but 30 years ago, I realized I was greedy. My, my father said that he was just a, uh, he's the one that kind of put it in me. He was, um, how did he put it? Like he was good with money. No, he's just cheap. And I took that hook, line, and sing, and I realized that this is so embarrassing. I would wait for someone else to pay for lunch when we went out. That's wrong. And, and I had to do two things, starting at 30, that I still do to this day. If I go out to eat with someone, I will pull out the credit card first. Sometimes I let them pay because it's appropriate, but I will always be the first to pull out a credit card. I don't do that because I'm generous. I do that because I'm greedy. And if I don't mortify that part of my flesh, it will take over. The other thing I've done is no longer hard for me. It, it's actually a delight. I decided that if stuff had its tentacles in me, its talons in me, that I had to get rid of stuff and the love of it. So what I did is I made a rule that if you compliment me for anything, I will give it to you immediately. I've had people compliment my shirt. A little embarrassing, but it works. <laughs> I've had people compliment me on all sorts of things, but. The one that, that really is a memory for me is uh, I was in my living room. Scott, my friend, had come from Texas. He's a pastor there. And I wanted to show off uh, a set of books I had. I inherited these from my grandfather, a 1901 pulpit commentary, a full set. 1901, full set. And Scott just went, oh, that's amazing. I was keeping them in a cabinet. And I said to my wife, go get the boxes. And she goes, you can't give those away. They're your grandfather's. I said, no, they're mine. And now they're his. I couldn't, you understand, I wasn't being generous. I was surviving spiritually this 
grip on me of materialism. And, and maybe for you, if materialism is your issue, I just want to challenge you to do this. Take something that is of value to you, but would be more valuable to someone else and honor the object by giving it more value. Make sense? Some of you, the lust of the eyes is not the biggest issue. It's the boastful pride of life. I've discovered about myself that I, I can sometimes come across as arrogant. I apologize if I've done that with you. I will be honest with you. I have never been arrogant a day in my life. No, hear me. I have never been arrogant. I've been insecure. And most people who come across as arrogant, it's a covering for an insecurity in their lives. In fact, I confessed this uh, to the church where I serve a, a couple months ago, super, probably the hardest thing I've ever said from a stage is that because I've never been the point leader of an organization, I sometimes come across as arrogant because I want you to think more of me than I think of me. Am I talking to anybody? Yes. So here, if this is for you, here is the solution for that kind of boastful pride of life. It is always and always serving someone who cannot pay you back. Always. And we actually have a service opportunity with extravaganza. In fact, you could just look at the QR code and scan it, and this will give you an opportunity to sign up to serve someone who cannot pay you back. But can I say something to you as a church? I know I'm a guest, I'm an outsider, but I want to speak to you of what I have noticed. There is not a church. In fact, I don't think there's a church that I would rather preach at than this one. There is not a church that is better at serving moments than this church. What you're doing for Love the Ville is extraordinary. When Tyler or team puts a need out you rise to that need. But what you're not good at is serving week by week. Why? I think it's part of the boastful pride of life that your time is of great value to you. If you are serious about sanctification, it requires mortification to expedite it. And what I've found, as with all of these sacrifices, you are most alive when you're most dead. Your church and your community is calling you not to be good in moments, but to be good as a habit of serving the community and the people around you. One, of the, one last observation that I'll make, as if that's not enough. The, the last verse that Tyler asked me to talk about is verse 26. Do not let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. I think this is one of the verses that was misplaced in the Bible. I think this should actually be chapter 6, verse 1. And if you start reading chapter 6, you will realize it's all about the one another's. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says to restore another brother. Chapter 2, carry each other's burdens. Uh, uh, verse 2. Verse 5 says, carry your own burden. Verse 6 says, share all good things with the instructor. Generosity. This is all about the one another. It's about the community. And 
part of what I've noticed with mortification is when you try to mortify your body on your own, it is really, really, really hard. But when you take your body and put it in Christ's body, mortification becomes easier. When we do this together as a community, when you show up and when you serve as you show up, and when you engage with the people of God in the place of God, man, mortification becomes so, so, so much easier. It begins with God's gift of the Spirit. It ends with God's gift of community. So are you serious about your sanctification? Like, do you really want to take strides forward, leaps and bounds forward? It is through mortification that sanctification is expedited. And understanding who you are by the Holy Spirit and understanding the body you're part of is the magic sauce for making mortification possible and palatable. With that in mind, uh, I think you got one of these on your way in. If you didn't, you can grab 10 or 12 on your way out. It's an invite card to Easter. You understand there are people in your orbit that God has given you influence over that they desperately need a place like this, a community like this to be a part of. And this is your best chance all year of bringing someone else into a place where they could really live for God. And so I would challenge you on your way to grab these. Let's, let's do something real with this, this week. Holy Father, this is mortification is not a normal topic, but we're not normal people. And so I pray that as, as we think deeply about how we could really make strides against our own flesh, that you would give us the power of your spirit and the powerful community of this church so that we could more and more reflect the sanctification that you declared over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.